It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, welcome to the Football Writers Podcast with a difference. We're coming to you live from the Red Lioness Pub in Moorgate in London. I'm joined by Sophie Downey from Girls on the Ball, Anne-Marie Batson, the broadcaster and journalist, and Faye White, the former England and Arsenal captain. It's a huge time for women's football, Faye. Interest is booming. We've had a record crowd at Wembley on Saturday. With that comes greater scrutiny. Does the England team at the moment stand up to that scrutiny? Um, well, I think they're certainly going through a period where they're almost struggling to get over that hang-up of the World Cup, but also the extra, you know, the eyes and the expectations that now put on them after their World Cup kind of journey. Um, and then the fact that they haven't been able to get the results since. Um, but you can't you have it both ways, can you? With extra media interest and the TV cameras, people wanting to support the team, it's going to come criticism when performances are not, aren't up to scratch um, or you know the results aren't going our way, which at the moment they're not. Yeah, you, you retired in 2013, which almost seems light years ago in terms of the, the projection that the game's getting. How different is it? Um, well, hugely as far as I would say the kind of, like I said, scrutiny, the coverage, the fact that games are often um, not only shown on live on telly um, or on you know, social platforms as well. Um, but also covered in the papers a lot more. That used to happen for us for major tournaments, you know, or the big FA Cup final um, at the end of the season. Yeah, um, obviously, crowds the biggest crowds I've played in front of were about 25,000 for an FA Cup final um, back in 2004, 2005. And, so, you know, so it, I, it was great to experience that. But England games were probably getting about eight or 10,000 at the time and towards the end of my career, even though we would play in, you know, sorry, championship kind of level grounds. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, seventy odd thousand at Wembley is just on another scale. But I think it's the reporting, the fact that you know the results are put into news bulletins on the telly and the, you know in the morning on the news roundups and stuff like that. So it's just becoming more familiar with people that the games are going on more regularly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a great career and saw a massive change from being amateur when I joined. Mm. Um, at 16, 17, to going through to see kind of dragging it into the professional as far as the way the players um, trained, viewed themselves as athletes as well, and then internationally, you know, getting us up to be able to compete with Germany and America. But I think it's, yeah, it's just brilliant now to see the kind of coverage and the fact that so many more people are getting out to support the game mm. um, and wanting to have their opinion about it. Sure. Yeah, you're going out to the Czech Republic tonight. Sophie, uh, for your 102nd game, I think, for England, or, uh, or watching England anyway. Um, over that period of time, you know, pressure was ramped up because of you know, pressure of performance. Uh, what sort of pressure would England be under on Tuesday night in the Czech Republic? 
Um, I think it's a game they have to win. Uh, the Czech Republic are, will be a tough opposition in terms of, I think, they'll defend. Um, they'll put a block um, in front of our, our, our forwards and it, that's the way that the, the game will go. And we'll have to break that down. Um, but I think we can't come away without win. We're going to have to win that game. Otherwise, it's going to be enormous pressure on, on Neville and the rest of the squad mm. um, going into the Christmas period. Yeah. Do you think that pressure is justified, Amory? Yes, because I think the expectation level has now risen 1,000% because of the women's world. <clears throat> Sorry, because of the women's World Cup, because there's been so much focus on it now. And looking at it, you know, I think criticism is healthy as long as it's constructive. And I think what we've said in the media and in discussions, debates has been quite constructive. There hasn't been um, anything in the negative of nitpicking. It's more about maybe look at this area, why isn't this happening? So I think the pressure is good because we, we have a team that are, are on a really good trajectory and all we want is the best for them. We just want them to win, we want them to enjoy the play, we want them to deliver a decent performance as well. So yes, I think the pressure is the right thing. Yeah, if it, so if you look at this competitively, from a coach's perspective, <coughs> you, you look at it from a, <clears throat> from a, a coach's angle, on Saturday, England making the same mistakes in the last 10 minutes that they made in the first 10 minutes. Is that down to the players or is it down to the instructions and the coaches that they deliver those instructions? Well, a bit of both really. Is there, um, I think it's obviously the players aren't listening and, and being able to make those changes in the game themselves. I think it's often, it's fine your manager having a, a game plan and when you go out for the game, but that other things will happen during the game where you have to be able to sort it out and implement it yourself. But I do think that's regularly downfall of England's is kind of sloppy errors that we make ourselves sloppy in possession um, but also conceding late, late goals later on we've been doing it for quite a while now in games and um, I think as well during the World Cup the thing I kept pointing out is that I don't doubt that we are able to play some good attractive football on times but it's too much in patches and even those World Cup games long periods where we kind of lost our way even against the likes of like Scotland obviously a little bit different because it's that competitive mm. play against each other in the WSL, a lot of the players. But like Argentina, again, they stepped it up in certain parts of their game, which we then couldn't seem to control and, re and be able to get ourselves back on top in some ways. So there's bits and there's that question of fitness as well. But mm. um, Or is, are the players understanding exactly what Phil wants to do? But I don't doubt we have the ability to go up to another level. At the moment, we're in this rut. And then, I mean, I'm under the opinion a little bit, if, if there's a rut now, I'd rather have it now when it doesn't really matter. Um, and he's bringing in different players and trying to bring in a few younger players to get that experience too. So then maybe in the Olympics or in the Euros the following year. But mm. like you say, with the expectation of the media and people's opinions, that's something the players have to deal with as well. It's a new thing that they're having to come back. They come back at stars as household names and although some of the more senior ones might be used to it, it can take their focus off the ball, it can cause divisions within the team as well or issues that players have to work out as mm. far as managing their schedules as well. So there's a, there's a lot that they're having to, to handle and manage. Yeah, because you know, part of the attraction or maybe the fundamental attraction of women's football is the accessibility of the players. You look at the men's game and there's a huge detachment between the players themselves and the, the people who pay to watch them. You know, you've got players having coffee on Wembley Way the day before the Germany game. You, you know, got stories like Beth England, you know, having worked in a fish and chip shop. Does women's football need to protect that type of heritage? I think so. I think it's a USP for the women's game. I think it's a really 
real valuable quality, that connection between the players um, and the fans and the fact that you have people like, I don't know, Karen Barsley staying out to the lights go off in the stadium signing young kids autographs. I mean, it's, it's part of the, what makes it really special and it really provides that connection. And I think people during the World Cup were also saying that. They were looking on the TV when they were watching it and they were saying, this is a game I could fall in love with because it's, it's got real people on the pitch, they've got real stories and we can really connect with them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, it's our fan base, it's families, you know, and to be able to engage the children and keep parents happy, it's about that interaction, isn't it, as mm. well, um, and that kind of extra, you know, go above and beyond kind of thing that they get when they bring their family to a WSL game or normally an England game, maybe not a Wembley because of the security and et cetera, but um, certainly at a WSL game, that's the kind of, you know, whole day kind of package that they can get in seeing the players up close and personal. So Amory, in the build-up to the Germany game, uh, Demi Stokes spoke very well and eloquently about giving women hope. Now, that's an admirable principle. Is that realistic? Because we are only talking about football after all. I know the piece that you're talking about, it was in The Guardian, and she was mentioning about her role models like Jessica Ennis-Hill and Dean Rasher-Smith, who, you know, mm. had, had, in terms of Ennis-Hill's had a fantastic career, and Dean Rasher-Smith obviously winning the gold medal early this year. And I think Demi's very much about um, seeing the bigger picture about how women's sport can come more together. And I think the conversation that she wants to have is seeing, let's celebrate not just what's going on in football, but within other sports as well, because we're all trying to achieve the same thing. We all want to win. We all want to be the best athletes on the planet. So I think, yes, it does give hope. When you see somebody from a humble background, shall we say, we talk, you mentioned about Beth England earlier, and working, even yourself, like working your way up to the ranks and, and hitting that top level of elite athlete, you know, excellence, I think it does give hope, very much so. Mm. Because if you look at it, there, is, there are still social challenges, aren't there? You know, I saw a piece last week where there was a, a school in North London where year eight and uh, the football teams who had a, a girl in were allowed an extra player because they had the girl in, which tells you that, you know, some of the attitudes that maybe we all thought died out 50 years ago are still there. Still got a long way to go, I think. Um, we're getting better and I think it's, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And the fact that we've got now women role models, sportswomen, across across all sports, football, rugby now, tennis, athletics, it now gives girls a real something to aim for and they, they can see that they can be there and they can, can actually aim and play sport and enjoy it and, and do well and be celebrated for it. I think that's massively different now to when I was a kid, certainly, I'm sure when you were as well. Mm. Like, those options weren't there, but we still got a lot, a lot, long way to go. When you were coming through, did, it, did you fight, have almost like a fight for us to establish yourself as a, as a footballer? Well, constantly, I literally, from day dot, if I remember it was girls don't, can't, shouldn't, won't, you know, play football. And for me, it just didn't, I just couldn't understand why and almost didn't listen to it. A bit of child naivety and what have you, just carried on in the garden, playing at school. Um, but yeah, certainly when you got to the level where you're trying to profile the game as an England captain, Arsenal captain, it was very much um, kind of all that, it's that stigma, it's that girls aren't, shouldn't, well, women or girls shouldn't be competitive or, um, you know, sweat or go out and, you know, enjoy themselves yeah. almost. But um, I think those, I think there's been a big shift since like 2012 Olympics and everyone's seen that stadium fall for the first time for, an Olympic game, but also in the media's perception on how they cover it. 
But I'd like to say some of the comments that young girls are having at, um, at eight years old now, it's not often from the boys they're playing with or it's it's more from their the adults and their mm. parents. And it's at that kind of level, which we're still trying to change perceptions because I took my boys to Wembley um, on Saturday and they just saw it as a game of football and they'll grow up knowing it's a game of football now that there's that coverage. So um, I think, it, yeah, there's still some perceptions out there that need to be changed. But certainly through my whole career, it was about challenging them and um, you know there's so many situations I went to because it's a male dominated environment through most of my career of literally being a token female and, mm. and almost thinking oh, do I, you know want to do this do, 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 you know but it was like well, no because I've had so much enjoyment and passion and there are so many young girls where you meet and see when you go to schools or um, local clubs that are just loving and enjoying the game and get so many benefits out of it so it was important to keep kind of challenging those and fighting those and the girls are still doing that today and telling their stories about what they've come through to get where they are which mm. is important well when you've got someone like lucy bronze saying well i used to pay for my kit mm. um when you've got um a, a sport which is evolving quite mm. quickly you need appropriate role models I hate the phrase but it is is true mm. um of the, the the current crop of players who are the most effective ambassadors and why are they of the current England team? Yeah, yeah. Um, most effective ambassadors, that's a really good question. Um, I think for me, I, I really like Leah Williamson. I really love her drive, her tenacity, her, her the, you know, I got to speak to her after the game on Saturday and you can obviously sense the disappointment about the loss, but in her mind she was talking about that she wanted to go out there and, and give a decent performance and she knows that they didn't deliver that on the day. And it's the fact that she was able to self-reflect and understand where it went wrong and wanting to do better next time, I think is really, really important. And as a role model, you know that sometimes not everything's going to go to plan and you need to recognise that sometimes when things don't go to plan, how can I make it better next time? And for me, I think that's a, as a sum of a role model, somebody who understands their strengths but also understands their weaknesses as well. And she's somebody who, I love the fact that she's studying to be an accountant outside of football. She understands that football is only a small part of her world, that her family is everything to her, her friends is everything to her, and she wants to be an accountant one day working in sports business. That's somebody who has a plan and has a goal in mind, and I admire her for that, to think that even though football is a massive part of her life, there's another side to her life as well, and she's happy to share that with people. Yeah. I'm sorry to go back to football, but is she being played in the right position? <laughs> no. <laughs> Where should no. she play? Uh, in defence. I love her as, a, as a, a, a defender. I know she started out in midfield, but I think she's a cracking defender and I'd put her there all day, every day. Yeah. She's breaking into the England team there, isn't she? But she has played many games for Arsenal in midfield. But yeah. I know her for many years. Yeah. She's got a great head on her shoulders and yeah. has been a, few, a previous captain for youth age and has that potential for the senior team. But yeah, I like it's true about your, the bit you're saying about it doesn't always go to plan. And that's, I think, the biggest. Thing that comes out of most um, stories that a lot of the players in my era and current ones have is when they are going out to talk about being a role model it's explaining that yeah there's so many live nice things that happen but there's quite a few hard things that you'll have to analyze and it's your attitude and how you analyze those downfalls or injuries that are the thing that stand you in better stead um, and will help you get to the top it's that the mental adjustment to being able to cope with hardship or disappointment and that makes, and Leah certainly has that in a massive amount of abundance. I often see Leah after Arsenal or England games, and whether they've won or lost, she'll be talking to the coaches and talking through what went on on the pitch. And I think that just shows her mentality. She wants to improve. 
and she wants to discuss, even if they've just won 3 0, it doesn't matter. She's, she's talking through the tactics and how she can better herself and the team. Mm. I think that's a really good um, thing for someone so young as well mm. to be showing that at mm. that age. Who, who are the other younger players that you would envisage coming through, you know, maybe breaking in before the European Championships in, in a couple of years? I'm wondering about the goalkeeping situation. Um, what about Ellie Roebuck? I think Ellie Roebuck is a class, class goalkeeper. I think she's probably one of the most technical goalkeepers we've had, uh, we're, we're producing. Um, I would have probably personally given her the start on Saturday. I just think that she's great with her feet, she's great with her hands, um, and she's got that nothing faces her. Um, I think she played against Chelsea last year, and um, she just she, she looked like she'd been there her whole life. Like she just it didn't matter that she was young young keeper coming through. She was just had her head in the game. She knows exactly what she's going to do. Mm. Um, so I, I, I really rate her. Um, really rate Lauren Hemp as well. She's coming through the Ranks at City. Obviously played at Wembley for a bit on, on Saturday. The speed on her is, is amazing. She mm. can just turn it on and beat players just like that in a flash. Mm. So she's one of the ones I'd, I'd watch out for when coming through. Too. Okay. Uh, you know, it is a, a, a time of great change and opportunity for the women's game. You know, we're here in this pub, uh, one of 750 Green King venues, which is going to promote the women's game through the uh, auspices of the women's football weekend, this coming weekend. Um, some great games at four um, host club grounds, shall we call them. Um, probably the, the greatest interest will be the BT Sport game, which is you know the North London Derby, the first at the, the Tottenham's new stadium. With your Arsenal hat on, how big a game is that for Arsenal women's team? Well, it would be it, was, it would be huge again to kind of profile the game, but just for the players to have that experience. I know they'll be relishing it. Some of them have played in World Cups, etc., Euros, finals, a lot of the Dutch. Um, but yeah, to play at a main stadium is what will drive the players. You know, it, it's it, they have to get used to the bigger crowds as well, but. I think for a club like Spurs, so new one in their WSL journey as well, to be able to have that and host it and the kind of setup of that they again supporting the women's team has been brilliant too. And and finally, we've kind of got that big rivalry now similar to the men's in the women's game. Um, from my day, we were playing them, and it was often in you know the first few rounds of the FA Cup or something, and they were convincing wins for Arsenal. Um, but it just shows the rise of Spurs, um, you know, to get to that level now in the WSL vision and we have a stage a game like this and they've been doing well in attracting crowds too haven't they and getting mm. their support considering they're such a new young team um as far as their history within the WSL goes but yeah for Arsenal it will be a big game they want to go out and perform and play well see they lost to Chelsea not long ago um a few weeks ago um so they'll want to get make sure they get the points they beat Man City after that which was a really good performance but I think, yeah, they'll definitely want to get that one over. I think you would argue, you'll look at it on paper and go, Arsenal should be winning that game. Um, but, us, uh, like I say, Spurs have done well and had some good results themselves too. Mm. Arsenal won the WSL by seven points last season. Are they potentially a better team this year? Do you know what, what amazed me about Arsenal last season was the fact they, they managed to win the title, as you mentioned, by seven points, but the raft of injuries they had towards this, over that Christmas New Year period, you thought that was pretty much it, the title had gone, and they still managed to win it. So, I mean, I'm fairly confident, she says, touching me, <laughs> um, that they can defend the title 
this season. I've forgotten you were a gooner. Yeah, so <laughs> I was trying to be balanced. Uh, <laughs> and I'm very balanced. Um, I think they've got a good shot at defending the title, that is for sure. And I think the, the inform, reinforcements that they've brought in for this season as well. I mean, Jill Ward is, is world-class as far as I'm concerned. That's a fantastic guy. So as long as Miedemar stays fit, Valti stays fit. Valti, Leah Valti is a huge key. I think they miss her when she doesn't play. Um, and also Van der Donk as well, Danielle Van der Donk and Kim Little. As long as they can keep that core fit, fingers crossed. I think they're in for a good chance to defend the title. Mm. Let's look at Spurs, um, Sophie. You know, they come from that sort of part-time background and the club is obviously looking at it strategically and they're supporting the women's game through that team. Um, who should the TV viewers be looking out for from the Spurs side? Um, I think Rihanna Dina is a young stroker and she, she's a phenomenal stroker. She's got an eye for goal. Wherever you put her in, in the box, she, she can score. Um, I've got a share play for England at the youth levels and she just has that quality around her. Um, I think in midfield that they have Rachel Furness on loan from Reading. Um, she's, a, she, she's one of the best midfielders in the league, I would say. She's just got that tenacity and quality on the ball and she knows where all the players around her are. So they would be the two I think. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a general sense, you talked about the England youth teams watching them. You know, if you look at the men's game, you know, there is a DNA, the way you play, uh, there is a, a, a cadre of young players coming through. Is the same thing happening in the women's game? I'm just thinking maybe even beyond, maybe to the next World Cup. Are there young players who are just waiting to actually make their mark at the highest level? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I've been, I was at the under-17s last, this year, last year, um, and uh, you can already spot the players who have the amazing quality and you, you know, you'll see them in the senior team in years to come. Um, under 19s level, you've got Lauren James as well, uh, making a mark at United. Um, I think we'll probably bite her, our time with her a little bit. She needs to grow a bit, but she's obviously got huge potential coming in into the, the England setup. Um, yeah, the rat is getting full of, of good quality players now, and they're all being able to play full time, train full time. Like when they when they get to that age, they've got a professional game ahead of them, which is very different to what it was. Yeah. yeah. I would say the thing now that you look at, you look at the amount of foreign players coming in. And so you look at like a team like Arsenal, they've got a lot of foreign players. It's a lot of core of what, three players that um, are England players, but it's making sure those young youth players are getting time and mm. playing at clubs. And they often have to go to the lower, like Bristol, Birmingham, or to get the other play week in, week out because of the kind of squads that the top three. Teams yeah. have got so that's was just a little bit. I would concern that you hope it's not going to go too much that we keep attracting all these top foreign players. Mm. Um, it's great for the league, but equally, it's not great for the development of our yeah. younger players and get their, their playing. Time. Because you know that's a natural consequence of, of you know promoting yourself or, or wanting to be the best league in the world. And mm -hmm. you know Emma Hayes says it is the best league in the world. Do you agree with that? Um, I, yeah, now I think so. I looked at when I played. Um, we always looked at the Swedish league, um, well the French league, but arguably the French league was probably still just the two teams up there, Lyon and PSG, um, that were you know Montpellier at the time as well. Um, and then obviously the American league, but with their whole franchise, the way they run, it's very different. So, but no, I think now you've just the caliber of players. The fact you've got some Americans coming over and playing as well mm. in previous seasons that. That shows the kind of scope it has, um, but competitiveness-wise, I think, yeah, we are up there. Because mm. in Champions League, Arsenal have got 
uh, PSG. Mm. Um, is this the season that Arsenal could win a Champions League? Good again. question. Again. Again. Okay. Again. Okay. Could they win again? Yeah. Yes, they could. Yeah. Well, yeah. But it I mean, looks like they, it looks like they'll have Leon in the semi-final, yes. doesn't it? They've got. I think. Um, I think the draw has been favourable to Arsenal, unlike Man City. Maybe I think Man City will just dealt a very difficult hand. I think Arsenal have been. I don't want to say an easy draw because that's not true, but I think they've had a slightly more relaxed path in the way through. So they they have the personnel to to go forward, I think. And, and I'm sure Montemiro will want to make sure that they at least get to, to the semi-final. Beyond that, I wouldn't want to say. Mm. He really impresses me as a coach, Joe Montemiro. How has yeah. he come across to you? Uh, uh, he really impresses me. I think he really gets his players. Um, he's got generated such a close bond, I think, between his players. There's an emotional intelligence there, yeah. isn't there? And I think they really respect him for that. He has a great knowledge of the game as well. Um, and he knows exactly what he wants to do with the players. And, the way he's set up, I mean, a lot of coaches, I think, would struggle having the midfield he has and interplaying, like, the van der Donks with Nobs, Little, Balti, like, and he seems to do it with some, some ease. It seems <laughs> yeah. like, um, they just seem to perform for him, and I think um, I just, I really admire him. I feel often, though, in a squad, it's not always the starting eleven you have to worry about, it's the ones that aren't. And when you've got a squad of high-talented internationals and you have to leave some of them out, and it's not necessarily because they've not played well or whatever, it's about being able to use all your, the assets you have. Um, he, he has a brilliant way of just communicating and giving the players belief and making them all believe into his plan, mm. um, which I think not all managers are able to do that, but he is. He's, he's kind of comes to their level and allows them to input into them. He listens to them and... And he's just got a relaxed style and way that he is, is like yeah. I say, gets the best of the ones on the pitch, but it's also managing yeah. the ones that are. Well, that, that's modern management, isn't it? You know, that, that empathetic approach mm. is, is becoming increasingly common. You know, the teacup throwers are going out of business. Yeah, but also more so in women's football. Yeah. I think there's a difference in managing women to a male team. And he obviously had quite rave reviews over in Australia. And Kim Little played for him out there as well and had that kind of understanding of, and admiration for him there too. So... Um, it's good that he's in, in the WSL and in England. Yeah. yeah, from a media perspective, he's happy to answer any question that you want, isn't he? Very yeah. much so. And he'll answer it. He'll give you a straight, very direct answer, which is what you want. He's, he's not somebody who will try and, and say, well, you know, and try and gloss over a, a poor performance. He will say it's a poor performance and he'll say why it's been a poor performance. And I think that's really an open and honest back with him and he's quite chatty and friendly as well when, you, when he's doing interviews which is, is helpful to us because you want a manager who's going to be open but honest but also recognise when things have gone wrong he's happy to say why it's gone wrong and mm. why he's not happy about it yeah. which is helpful it's that approachability yeah it is that approachability for media and people outside but also for his players yeah yeah, yeah. one of the consequences of, of greater interest is this scrutiny we talked about earlier which tends to be focused on the coaches or the managers these days um Vicky Jepson at Liverpool, you can say she's been dealt quite a, a rough hand in terms of she's got quite a callow squad. Uh, maybe the club took their eye off the ball as far as women's football is concerned. They've got a huge game, symbolically more than anything else, against Everton at Anfield. Is it the right match at the wrong time for them? Quite possibly. Um... Yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on in Liverpool at the moment because they, like on, on paper, if you look at the players, they don't have a poor squad. They have a pretty good squad, but they just don't seem to be clicking at all. Um, 
behind the scenes. I don't really know what's going on. They seem to be really behind them and then not so behind them. And really, over the years, mm. it's just sort of been a bit of a, you go up a hill and then you come back down it again. Mm. Um, so it's a really strange one with Liverpool for me. I agree. No, I agree with the players because you've got um, Sweetman Kirk, who I think is, is so fiery when she gets going. I, I really enjoy watching her. And then Babajide as well, who's a natural goal scorer. For some reason, it's just not clicking. Babajide, I saw her play uh, in, in the wreck at Brixton and she had the look of a female Zahar, almost like one of these cage footballers, a little bit like Nikita Paris. I looked at her when she was sort of 16, 17 and thought, this is a superstar in the making. Mm. But it's really difficult to develop, isn't it? Well, it's often they can have all the talent. I've seen so many players that have an amazing amount of talent, um, but they don't necessarily have the way of, like I say, the mental side of it and the desire, the determination, making the right decisions to put their football first over um, you know, other you know, possibilities within you know, social or life, etc. But yeah, I've seen quite a few. There's been a few over my career where you just think, God, you could have developed into such a good player, but they haven't, whether it's people in their ear not showing them the right way or it's just their own decisions, which kind of let them down. But um, hopefully she's not going to be one of those. No. Good, but yeah, it's, it's a lot to build up a player. It's yeah. not literally just the talent and off you go, you know? So Yeah, from what I know about it, she's a good kid. So in, And she has good people around her, so hopefully she will move, move forward. You look at the, the, the system, um, you know, as we stand, the coach is king or queen. Mm -hmm. um, let's look at Chelsea and Manchester United, the, the game at King's Meadow on Sunday, through the prism of their respective managers. Um, I've always been hugely impressed by Emma Hayes. You know, very articulate, quite challenging. Um, and she's building a team there, probably off the back of a failure i.e. they're not in the Champions League. Will that work to their advantage? Oh, I think it's very much so. I think, I think it would be fair to say that Emma Hayes desperately wants to win the WSL again, but also to be part of the Champions League story as well. And they have the squad to do that because I think they've got, for every single position, I think they have two players. Where have we heard that before? Yeah. Um, so they've definitely got the squad. They've got the manager to do that, the coach to do that. Um, I think that game on Sunday, I think, is going to be fascinating because you've got two very different people in terms of their coaching styles, I think. Um, it's funny, when I'm watching Emma Hayes, she's very calm on the touchline. She barely shouts anything. She's not pointing anything. She's just watching and observing all the time. Whereas with, with, with the Manchester United women, with Casey Stane, she's walking up and down all the time. And she's pointing. And doing exactly. So it's very interesting. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they're both going to set up, I think, on Sunday. But, you know, Emma Hayes, the fact that she's been mentioned as maybe potentially one day a manager of the Chelsea men's team shows how much stature she has for yeah. the game overall. Well, it shows the way the club is working because strategically she has a, a role now at boardroom level across the, the club. And, you know, you've talked about the one-club mentality that Arsenal might have had. Chelsea seem to me to be getting their heads around the fact that if the club is going to be reborn or, or you know, retooled culturally, which is happening at the men's side under Frank Lampard, a successful women's team will help that. Yeah, I think absolutely. And you've seen it across the, the whole club, I think. You see, it, they, they train at Cobham now. Um, you see it when you go to match days at Stamford Bridge and the women are advertised everywhere. You get them up on the TV at half time, advertising the next game. They're in the programmes. 
I mean, it's, it's a real concert, like a whole club effort. You go down to King's Meadow. Um, last season, they had all the branded uh, the tube stations. I mean, mm. they put a real solid force behind behind getting, and you can see it in, in the crowds at King's Meadow now, at Arsenal, Chelsea, um, the other week down at King's Meadow, they got, what, 4,000 people? Yeah, it was 4,000. I mean, it was absolutely packed, the rafters. Mm. Yeah, mm. I mean, they're doing things right, I think. I think that location change as well, mm. from, from a club like Staines, where it's out the way yeah. into a kind of stadium or ground that is used to having football around in Kingstonian and, and everything. So I think that really massively helped them as well. But like I say, the finance and the way they've marketed it and pushed that budget as well has massively helped them. But with that extra influx, again, it becomes pressure on the fact that they didn't win the league last year and they're out of the Champions League. There is that. Mm. You've got to produce. Because it took, it took Manchester United a long time to make that strategic corporate decision that they're going to support the women's game. Too long, mm. let's, let's be honest. With Casey Stoney, it strikes me as there is a potentially hugely influential manager in the making. She's just signed a new contract. How important is that for the development of Manchester United? And would you expect United to be potential champions in the next couple of years? I don't think they've got the depth to really challenge, but I do see them, and possibly Chelsea, I don't know. But I, you know, you look at 1 0 against Man City and Arsenal at the start of the season, and that's their first few games in the league. I think she will set them up and have the kind of appetite and get them working together to be able to cause an upset and have some kind of say in possibly where the title does go, more so than some of the other teams. You saw last season that you know Man City, they drew too many games that they put it out of their hands because it's almost not just the head-to-heads with the top, you know, the Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal, those games, how they do. It's also whether you drop points to the mid-tables, but I think they're going to... Will they win the league in the next few years? I'm not sure, unless they get a... You know, it's the strength, like you say, having those players that you can bring on and change things mm. um, and being able to do it for the whole course of the season, not just a few games here and there. Um, but I, I definitely see that they will get up to that kind of level and then it will be maybe a four-way challenge mm-hmm. rather than just the three. But they've got the finance because that, that's what's going to ultimately draw the players as well as her understanding of those players and the game as well. Yeah, I suspect United's um, improvement is concentrating minds at City quite a bit. Um, you know, they've got uh, West Ham at the weekend. Um, how, what, what do you read into their defeat by Atletico Madrid? Are they not quite at the highest level yet? I think it's like I said earlier, I think they were dealt a very harsh hand in terms of the draw when it came to Atletico Madrid, but I was surprised that they weren't able to, to get it over the line. I think, um, did Ellen White play? I think she was out injured for that particular game, I think. I think she came on, I think, with it in the second leg. I think she's been much missed mm-hmm. and hopefully now she now that she's um, back on her feet, so to speak, she can get, you know, some goals for the team. I don't know. I think um, you know, Nick Cushing, I've interviewed him a couple of times and, you know, he does want to have a good record within the Champions League and for some reason it's just not clicking for them, whether it's the quality of the players or he's not setting them up right or they've just been dealt a really harsh hand in terms of the draw. I couldn't tell you, it's a really tricky oh, thing. I would say with Man City, um, I mean, when they come into the game, it was the, the saying that they had all this budget, and that, but they haven't gone gung-ho in that over. And really, their, their squad probably is not as big as maybe Chelsea or mm. Arsenal's, as far as the quality all the way down. Mm. Um, and uh, over previous seasons, I've always thought, well, they've been lucky in keeping the, their main core fit and strong. Um, and then obviously this season, at the end of last season, we saw a few players leave. I don't know if it's Man United 
Bamford and Sabi back to Arsenal. So there's something where now other teams are competing with them always being able to get who they want and pay what they want, possibly. Um, and then, you know, because like I say, they don't have a massive, like, like I would say Chelsea probably have the biggest depth of squad, I think, yeah, um, really. But Man City, don't quite, they, they are still breeding in younger players or looking to go and get, you know, younger players um, like Hemp come to them and, and, and investing in that as well and developing that for the future, which is a good thing. And so, you know, they have to manage that as well. So. Yeah. We're here, as I said, in the Red Lioness to basically draw attention to the fact that women's football is worth watching. You started as a fan, Sophie. Um, if you have to explain the attraction of the women's game to someone who's never seen a, a match, what would you say? Um, I'd say the quality. I think uh, you can now really see, you see the skill really broken down on the pitch, and especially nowadays, um, you can see the improvement it's, it's gone up so much. But I think um, the whole the story of the game, the, the people in it, the, the stories of the players, um, the fact that you can, it's a really nice community to be a part of, I think. Um, it's just, it just all comes together into one, but the, more, more than anything, the product now, it, like, it's just, I love watching it. I watch men's football as well. I watch women's football, and you can appreciate both of them for very different reasons. Um, and I just think it's something that you have to be a part of. My dad's a massive convert, actually, because he's always, he's coached for years and years and always watched men's games and he started watching, I said to him, watch the Women's World Cup and he totally fell in love with it. And now he's asking me all sorts of questions about the teams and who plays where and yeah. totally falling in love with it. Yeah. Same with my friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch the World Cup. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, I've heard so many stories of people just seeing it and going, oh, I, you know, didn't realise this is the way. And they don't, you know, overact on things. They just play the game, you know, and, and it's different. And the level of it, obviously, now the, the top players um, are, well, are playing fully professional week in, week out at their clubs. You know, in my time, we had England contracts, which means we could train every day, but that would be gym sessions or on the field on your own with a ball. These players now are training every day with a ball, um, you know, with their teammates week in, week out. So the level of like the clubs, but also then obviously the international players is, is raised and, and, you know, it's just great to see, isn't it? But yeah. Sophie has obviously been around Arsenal, <laughs> following the team and in the England team, like you said, 200, 100 on two games, yeah. right? It's just, and that means a lot to the players. It really does, because we see them and there's that interaction between you yeah. and the players, isn't yeah. there? And, and so then when you look up and you see, I remember in the China 2007 World Cup, there was literally about 50 people that would support England. And it was a quite a full stadium. Obviously, it's a distance to travel to, I get. But then the Germany one, even that four years on, and, you know, um, seeing bigger crowds, people traveling, fans traveling, not just family and friends, and then going to Nice and watching the World Cup against Scotland. And there was just like Scottish and English flags everywhere, yeah. wasn't there? It was just unbelievable to see that difference and that kind of transition. It was just like out as well. There was what, 13,000 of that game? Yeah. 18, something like that. But they were literally all travelling fans yeah. in these, weren't they? Because it was quite out of the way. Not, not a lot of the French were there. So it just shows that like the rays of it. I'm sure on Saturday you would have felt the same, but just looking at 70,000 people out to support. England, and I was just, yeah, I can, that will stick with me forever. It's just, yeah. I just say, you just forget what you've been told because you're going to fall in love with it. Yeah. Give it a chance to fall in love with it. Well, that's a perfect way on which to end, isn't it? Get yourself out to a game this weekend. You won't be disappointed. 
And thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 